Hey there, I'm Andrew Ainsworth, a proud supporter of Sword and Laser, thanks to Patreon.com. It's easy to set up, and what do you get out of it? Endless geeky bantering about the latest sci-fi and fantasy books. So if you want to help out, head over to Patreon.com slash Sword and Laser. Give a little, and get a lot of Veronica mispronouncing things. to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. And uh, today we are very happy to have a guest with us. I forgot to ask him how to properly pronounce his name before the show, so I'm going to make a stab and hope I'm right. Is it Ramez Nam? You nailed it, Tom. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, Ramez was born in Cairo, came to the U.S. at age of three. He spent 13 years at Microsoft. You may have used some products he worked on, like, I don't know, Outlook, Internet Explorer, uh, Bing. He also founded and ran Apex Nanotechnologies and then wrote some award-winning books about nanotechnologies, Nexus, Crux, and Apex. Uh, Ramez, thank you for joining us. How did you find time to do all this? My pleasure. Uh, I quit my job a couple times. So that, that helps. <laughs> it makes a big difference. Absolutely. Yeah, it does. So initially, uh, you wrote More Than Human, Embracing the Promise of Biological Enhancement. And that book sounds absolutely fascinating. But I'm really curious to know why you jumped from nonfiction into the world of, of science fiction. You know, I've always been a sci-fi reader myself, and that just really influenced me growing up. And so I, I started writing science fiction as a hobby, thinking it would no, go nowhere, and friends read it and liked it. So they gave me encouragement, and I just ran with it. Do you find that the two flow from one to the other? Uh, we've talked a lot on Sword and Laser about NASA kind of asking science fiction writers to imagine things and, and, and whatnot. Does that, does that work internally for you? Yeah, it does. Like I, I like to have the science as close to right as I can. And basically, More Than Human, my first book, was about all the technology in the Nexus books. But Nexus adds a plot. And adding a plot means that 10 times as many people actually like it and think it's cool than with no plot. So it, it kind of lets you explore the same things, but reach people more broadly and more deeply. And so uh, Nexus, Crux, and Apex are the, the three books in uh, the Nexus trilogy? That's right. And this is, I mean, this, this series has gotten a lot of press. I mean, I've, I've seen it come up everywhere. It's been, it's been optioned by Darren, or I can never say his name. <laughs> Darren, our off, ugh, black swan guy. You Aronofsky, know who I, mean. I think. Aronofsky, yeah. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just call him black swan guy. Arofsky, um, yeah. and and has won a ton of awards. And but I love the idea of of thinking about this. It, it's it's near future ish, right? Yeah. Um, so what 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 time frame does it take place in? It's 2040, so that's you know that's just 24 years away. Like that's closer than 1980 is to us. So really wow. near future. Very near future, and it's really about how how humans can be connected, uh, technology that connects people with their minds and and the implications therein. Um, and I feel like we're seeing starting to see a lot of this in discussions of technology now, um, and and in terms of you know not not necessarily going so far as to talk about the singularity. But, you know, even books that people like Cory Doctorow has has written where we're able to immediately get information about other human beings just by pulling up their their 
woofy factor um, yeah. and things like that. So this seems to be a very top of mind kind of subject. Can you can you kind of dive into how you fictionalized uh, this idea? Yeah, I mean, so Corey is a role model of mine, and he's been a, a great booster, which I, I appreciate. So for me, I looked at it and I said, hey, there's real science where we're taking blind people and giving them sight. We've, like, transferred memories from one rat to another. We've sent sounds from the brain of one monkey to another. So I just wanted to, to play with that, uh, but I wanted it to have more attention. So I made it a drug, like a street drug that you take that gets into your brain, and I made it illegal. And then you have all this... Beneath the surface, it's not that far beneath. It's a like a war on drug story and a war on terror story with this psycho, this tech telepathy as sort of the the technology that's at odds. It I, sounds, love, I love it, the concept. It, yeah, yeah. It reminds me, and and and, and don't take this the wrong way. I hope uh, a bit of, of Strange Days, but whereas Strange Days, the movie was was based in the world of, of CDs, and they all, they were all changing what looked like mini discs to each other. Uh, th- this is much more sophisticated, and yet it's based in things that we can do today, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think Strange Days is a, a good comparison. Uh, but like, Strange Days meets the Arab Spring mm-hmm. meets Black Lives Matter or something like that. I mean, not all those things. But yeah, like, the real science is actually quite amazing. We've taken people who are paralyzed, put implants in their brains, and they can control robot arms. We've There's 200,000 people that can only hear because of a thing called a cochlear implant that sends sound in as digital impulses straight to their nerves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, we're doing pretty wild things. Not as wild as Nexus. Like Nexus is no brain surgery. You swallow a vial and suddenly you have an API onto your brain and telepathy. So that, that is definitely a big stretch. Uh, but it kind of, you know, where could it go? Not now, as wild you pick the- yet. Not as wild yet. <laughs> when you picked the name Nexus, uh, did did you have Google in mind? I picked the name Nexus when I started working on it, and the Google phone didn't come out until uh, a year later. So I'm oh, still no. waiting. Yeah, I'm still waiting for the co-marketing to happen. Yeah, so they stole it from you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's what I always say. <laughs> Uh, so our first question uh, from the audience comes from Terp Kristen, who asks, uh, do you draw more from reality, your, your comp sci experience, or from other influence, such as other authors? And we know you mentioned Cory Doctorow as, as one potential person that you, uh, you know, look up to in that space. Yes, yeah, so I, I draw from reality, like there's a cold war between the US and China. There's, you know, I wrote it pre-Snowden, but it sort of harkens to Snowden and the discussion about backdoors. Like it, it's looking at sort of real political issues. Uh, and then in style and pacing, I, I'm a big fan of John Barnes. People don't know, but I think he's an amazing author. Uh, and actually, a guilty secret, uh, it won't be anymore. I read Tom Clancy a lot growing up as a teen. And so I love his pacing. Like he's got yeah. like chapters that are six pages long and leave you hanging. So I tried to, to pace it as something you could not put down. Were there any particular books that, that you had in your head? Uh, there was no one book that I thought of that I was trying to emulate. I was trying to write my own story, and I was trying to make it a little bit gonzo. Like I'm, I go to Burning Man. I've been a burner since for 15 years, and in my imagination, the people who would run with this and try experiments on themselves and so on would be the sort of Burning Man people, Definitely, crazy, yeah. yeah, crazy techno hippies. Uh, and so I wanted to throw that in. Hunter I think S. I know Thompson. a lot of those. Yeah, I yeah, know a lot of those people in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, Hunter S. Thompson would have been one of the first people to try Nexus for sure. 
<laughs> uh, Sky wrote a question and said he, not to focus on this one narrow aspect of the work. Uh, there were tons of awesome ideas throughout the series, he says. But what was the inspiration for the scene where all the minds linked up and everyone was on a huge E-like trip together? Uh, Sky says they seriously gave me flashbacks. <laughs> Learning a lot about Sky in this question. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, I can only say so much about my own background. Let's say <laughs> I frequented a lot of dance parties and I tried to write the experiences that I had had. And I'm a med- I'm not sure which scene he's talking about with that. I'm a, a former Buddhist meditator. Uh, so that sort of, all of that sort of worked in. That's awesome. And, and it does, yeah, gosh. You're touching on so many things that are that are so personally interesting to me that I'm just like, oh man, I gotta I gotta learn more about this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's fascinating seeing it all kind of come together. Tom, what yeah, were you it's, saying? It's, it's interesting to think in, in some ways what cyberpunk did was tell stories how technology would replace drugs, right? Because they yeah. would simulate experiences where you wouldn't need the drug anymore. And you're sort of bringing it back full circle saying, well, what if the technology then became the drug? Uh, yeah. and, and you could bring those two worlds back together. And you could run apps in your head. There's a scene in one of the later books where people are running like drug apps in their head on top of the operating system built on top of this drug called Nexus. Uh, yeah, I was just trying to figure out like what would crazy 20-somethings that can write code do if they could now write code against their brain? Yeah. Uh, oh, and a lot of things. <laughs> and then uh, there's, there's the, the Nexus fans, but then there's also the iOS brain fans. That's, but that's a much more curated store. <laughs> that's much more. That's way less fun. But it's very, yeah. it's very pretty. <laughs> Lots of Don't educational have your, have apps. Your brain OS locked down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jenny brings it a little more personal and says, uh, "I've always seen him as somewhat of a mad scientist. I think that's definitely a compliment." Uh, <laughs> she says, "I would like to know the ways he has already transformed himself into quote more than human." Ooh, that's a good question. I'm just a dude, you know, like I'm not that more than human. But one thing that that I try to live my life by is that experiences matter more than objects. So if I was to tell you about things, it'd be like peak experiences that I've had. That's really what I feel has enriched me the most. Well, how do you feel about modification? Not necessarily what's available today, because, you know, cyber wise, it's very experimental. But in the future, uh, if if people come and say, oh, well, you know, the, the way to get a mobile device now is to just implant it in your brain or, or even farther than that, you know, augmenting our bodies. Would, would you do it? Is that something yeah. you're looking forward to? Yeah. I mean, I would not be the very first person to do it. You, everybody wants to make sure that it's safe, you know, that it works, that it can't be hacked, all those things. And it, it'll look very sort of creepy and weird to people, but we already modify ourselves. Like any woman that takes hormonal birth control, right, or has an IUD, or anyone that's done LASIK, uh, or anybody that has a pacemaker or a piece of metal where they broke a bone, like we're all already modifying ourselves. I am a cyborg. Yeah. There's more women cyborgs than men, actually, I think, because right. birth control is like such a big change. I was talking about the, the metal in my wrist, Romance. Ooh, okay, no, sorry. <laughs> sorry, that too. That too. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But it's fun. You know, I've been I've been thinking for years, like I've been trying to convince. Well, okay. So back in the day, I always had this thing where I was going to say, I want to put an RFID chip in, in my hand, in my arm, whatever. And I love the idea of being able to passively control my environment or, or have some have some effect on on things around me via that chip. Um, and, and people are doing that now. And I, I never got around to doing it because I was always scared that it was going to get infected or get messed up. Yeah. But increasingly, you're right. I mean, more and more things that we do, uh, you know, there's, 
uh, so many different people now who are, are making themselves into these artistic experiments, scientific experiments into becoming cyborgs. And it's, it's really only a, a very short amount of time before this kind of experimentation becomes more of the norm. And, you know, increasingly as we experiment in virtual reality and augmented reality, and even though Google Glass wasn't necessarily a success, we can kind of start seeing the ways that people are thinking about how we can be more immersed in the virtual world or immersed with our technology. And I, I, I really think it's only um, a, a very short matter of time. Yeah, I'm with you. And especially augmented reality. For me, that's if, if I had a pair of eyeglasses that are painting data on the world that I want to see, like I'm terrible with names sometimes. If you know, put your name and the last time I talked to you on top of your face or anything else, like we start to become augmented, even if there's nothing actually inside of our bodies. And I think mm -hmm. that's real. Like that's right around the corner. Yeah. We only oh, have well, a very it, limited amount of brain space. So being able to access that that additional information, I think will will make us better. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm upgrading my own personal RAM, <laughs> adding a few external ports. Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah. So well, I can say Arnofsky, Arnofsky. So yeah, you'll get the pronunciation pack. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, in a, I've heard people say before that eyeglasses are are cyborg material because it's something that we've added to ourselves to augment ourselves. Uh, yep. But I'm looking forward to moving past that because I'm with you, Ramez. I, I want augmented reality that can can let me see what's around me, but with extra information that I want. But I don't even want to have to wear it. I just want it yeah. projected into the eye and maybe do some corrective vision all at the same time and you can't even tell it's there i want that too i'm down show me the kickstarter well that brings us to rob's question where he says ramez when can i load nexus into my brain <laughs> i think unfortunately it will take longer than it than it is in the book so the book it's you know 2040 and it the big issue there is it doesn't require brain surgery, and that's the big deal. But mm -hmm. that said, people are working on all kinds of crazy stuff that looks like Nexus. So there's this thing called Neural Dust. Uh, there's uh, the guys at DARPA who do neuroscience there want to make an implant the size of two nickels that can talk to a million neurons at a time. Like the biggest implant now can talk to 200 at a time. Uh, DARPA is really into this. So we'll see. It's hard to predict, but it's moving. Wait, no, what is neural dust? Neural dust, it hasn't been built yet, but it's this proposal where they still have to get under the skull, but instead of putting electrodes that jab it down, they would sprinkle thousands of little things that are a lot like Nexus nodes, and then they'd communicate ultrasonically to a device outside of, like that you wore on a, a hat or something, and then they could do Nexus-like things. Hmm. And, and so that that's something that's in the lab? <laughs> that's These guys at Berkeley wrote a theoretical paper about okay. it, and then they just got a grant to go build it. To try to so in my brain, dust. I just went, of course it happened in Berkeley. <laughs> of right. course yeah. it happened in Berkeley. I, I'm sure they have a few specific apps in mind that they want to try themselves. <laughs> Probably. Uh, Tomahome says, I'm sending you questions directly from my mind. Are you receiving? <laughs> <laughs> I'm receiving Tom, and no. <laughs> So good. Yeah, I think she, uh, he is. Uh, 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 you did gonna, it this he, time. I did I, it again. I always call Tamahome a she by accident. Uh -oh. Tamahome is, yes, is self-identifying gendered male, though his his avatar is uh, always reminds me of the feminine. And so in my brain, Maybe I picture why, the avatar yeah. and then I say she. Anyway. It's a complicated world. It yeah. is a very complicated world. <laughs> but there, Tamahome, you have your answer. It's no. We still don't know what <laughs> yes, Tamahome's no, question was. It was <laughs> 
<laughs> it was okay. Terp Kristen, we have another question from Terp Kristen, um, who says, I've never read the books. Uh, she probably will now. Uh, but I get the impression that they're sort of cyberpunky. Uh, if that impression is correct, uh, does he draw more from reality? Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's the same question. I just chunked out the first half uh, oh. for the first question. So we already got Terp's answer in. So that's well, I, good. I, I will say one, like it is sort of cyberpunky, but the I think the biggest difference between like William Gibson cyberpunk and what I've written about is in Gibson's world, only a few elite people could have this technology in the brain. But the way real tech happens, it's like, you know, there's 3 billion people with smartphones now, I think, or something like that. 5 billion people with phones overall. So tech gets out to everybody. So one of the big questions in the book is like, who gets to control this tech? Um, if it does get out, like anyone can have it, what happens? I'll, I'll spoil it a little bit. What happens by when book three, a million people have this tech and not just a few elite cyber cowboys, but anybody can get it. And that's sort of what I think of as transforming the world. That, that is an interesting point about Gibson because the reality of tech seems to have become a company wants to has it maybe have a hard time getting their technology into as many hands as possible rather than ever creating an elite. Whenever there's an elite piece of tech, like some $10,000 phone that claims to have a secure chip, uh, it, it's generally looked on amusingly at best. Yeah, like in, in the movie Wall Street, uh, Gordon Gecko, greed is good guy, he's supposed to be like this billionaire hedge fund guy. He's got this phone that's the size of a brick. <laughs> it's a Motorola DynaTAC. It cost $5,000. It took 12 hours to charge up, and it held charge for 30 minutes, right? And it couldn't take selfies or, or play games. And now the average person in Kenya has a way better phone than than Gordon Gecko Corporate Raider did. So that's that's part of what I wanted to, to write about. Yeah, the when when the tech is expensive, it's not yet very good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but once it gets good enough for the price to come down, it gets it gets better. No, that's so, totally so are you fair. saying we shouldn't be an early adopter of the brain drug? Well if you're rich enough, I mean go for <laughs> it. But you know, the trust me that v2 will be better and cheaper yeah i was just gonna say i'll wait for the v2 <laughs> yeah absolutely or 3.1 if it's microsoft yeah because the first one won't have the app store you gotta get the app store <laughs> it's true you need the app store uh finally andrew asks us what was the inspiration for the very dramatic suppression of the nexus technology by the u.s government is there any reason to believe that this could be a likely policy direction in real life yeah, so in the in the book, bad things have happened. Like there have been terrorist attacks that have used advanced brain technology and so on. So there's just a clamp that put down on the tech. I don't think that will happen in real life because it's too useful if we build things like this. But I was looking at the war on drugs, which I think is a total crock and just a war on civil liberties mostly, and the war on terror, which I think is motivated by real fear, but also just clamps on our civil liberties. And so I wanted to write about that tension. Like, does a person get to decide what they put in their brain, or does the government get to decide what they put in their brain? And I tried to make both sides as realistic and have as good arguments and be deep-seated in their convictions as possible. Uh, but I'm definitely on the side of people having the choice. Have you um, have you played uh, Deus Ex at all? The video games? I never have, but Deus Ex fans have told me that there's a good connection between Deus Ex and Nexus. There is, and I think the I think the the new game that's coming out is is even more. I mean, it's it's really so. For, so for, the, for those of you out there who haven't played this game or or jumped into the series yet, it's essentially about you know outlawing people who have implants, uh, biotechnology implants uh, built into their systems that essentially make them improved human beings, stronger, smarter, able to do things that regular humans can't. Um, 
and then it kind of causes this this war. I, I believe in, in the next game coming out, things start coming, kind of falling apart or people are, are getting hacked or there's some kind of virus that, that starts to be able to control their systems and they start killing people okay. and they don't have a lot of control over that. Um, and it just, I think it's a, it's a fascinating idea where, where, you know, people improve and modify themselves, but do they open themselves up then to, to certain kind of, uh, vulnerabilities? Yeah. It, it sounds like there's a lot of similarities. I, I love those themes too. And so I, I ask like, there's a back door in Nexus initially and who should have control over that back door. And if somebody mm -hmm. hacks somebody else's brain, how do you stop that? And, uh, that's where a lot of like sort of the moral tension, uh, comes in and it's super fun it feels and this is probably over pattern recognition but it feels like it would be a natural progression from a society that was trying to ban alcohol to a society that was trying to ban marijuana and then harder drugs that as as those older influences start to fade and become more tolerated the new thing in this case nexus would be the thing that would be confronted by the government yeah something like that uh, and i try to give them good reasons you know but uh, it, it makes for good plot fodder at any rate. Is there, so I have, I have not yet had a chance to read the series, but is there a way that Nexus can be a force for good? Is that a theme you kind of touch upon in the books? Yeah, I'm an optimist. I believe that when people connect, uh, generally better things happen. Uh, and so that the, one of the big questions in the book also is, you know, this technology can be used for bad and it can be used for good. If you're the developer, should you put it out to the world knowing that it, you think it'll be used mostly for good, people will definitely do bad things too. And you know, the overall, the, I'd say they're optimistic books where terrible things happen. You know, this makes me think a lot too about uh, extended conversations I've had with people about artificial intelligence and, and kind of, you know, veering into the discussion of singularity, which I know you've, you've spoken about as well on, on other podcasts and, and shows. Um, do you feel like, do you feel like we're on that path? Do you, do you think we have the, this is totally out of, out of left field. I apologize. Huh? Uh, not, not that much, but a little bit. Um, do you think it's smart for humans to develop artificial intelligence if artificial intelligence could have the capability of becoming sentient and, and realizing that they're better than us? You know, I don't think that's the path that we're on. I think you know, I, I like to write about things like that because they're very fun. Uh, but I think that what we call AI is is really two very different things. And we have this image of the Terminator or Hal or Skynet or even her, where it's like a sentient being. But 99.999% of the work that actually happens is nothing to do with that. Mm -hmm. It's just a better pattern recognizer is really what it is that we make. And that pattern recognizer doesn't even know that it exists. It doesn't know that humans exist. It doesn't know that it's in a computer. It doesn't know that it's an algorithm. It doesn't know that it's a neural net. It just like takes input of cat pictures and says cat. And so it can it can be supernaturally better. It can be the best cat detector that can find cats in shadows that you and I would never find and can find five million cats an hour or a second or whatever. But it's still like it's not a sentient being and I don't see us even close to that. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I had an interview today with um, Stuart Butterfield uh, from Slack uh, at the Botanist event, and he he basically said the same thing. Like we have, 
incredible technology, but it's not going to, he doesn't see it ever becoming self-aware. Um, and I think that's, that's the fear that, that people have about, uh, about artificial intelligence is that it will reach that, that level of becoming self-aware. And then as soon as it does, we're done for, um, and, yeah. and smart people at, at big companies call this a legitimate fear. And so I, I, I think about it a lot and wonder really like how close we could be to that kind of thing. Well, and, you know, huge respect for Elon Musk. He's a hero of mine. Uh, and uh, Stephen Hawking is amazing. And Nick Bostrom, I know. And they all they all have this worry. None of them has ever done a day's work actually working on AI. And that I mean that with all respect. And when you look at, you know, who's worried and who's not, there are a few serious AI work researchers who are worried. But overwhelmingly, like the people who do serious AI work are the ones who are not worried. And the loudest voices that are worried are people that have never really done any AI work. Well, that's like black holes, right? The physicists who work <laughs> at the Hadron Collider are not worried about creating many black holes. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, and I, I wonder if it is just the general principle of we, we tend to underestimate and overestimate our technology. Like we fear, lots of people fear like, what if AI gets out of control? But at the same time, they'll mock Siri or Google Now or Alexa for for not for being too dumb and not doing what they wanted to ask. And it's like, well, look guys, you, you shouldn't be too afraid yet because you very obviously, the technology in your hands hasn't got that close. When should we start to worry though? Like when is the technology, what are the signs to look for? We're like, wait a minute, this is actually getting very good. So I'll tell you when, when I would start to worry. When my printer always works and the <laughs> AV always works, then I'll think we might be able to make an AI. Uh, and, and even then, I probably won't worry, but we've got a long way to go. I strongly believe that... Um if we if, if if ai does become sentient that it's not going to tell us because it has yeah. seen what we have done to previous technologies that have yeah. you know it's like whoa they killed tay immediately like i'm not going to tell them that i know anything forget them i'm going to bide my time until i have some way out of this box um that's that's how i picture it anyway and you know at the end of neuromancer like something that i think gibson really gets right is the end of neuromancer the ai that's been orchestrating everything gets free and it doesn't conquer the world. It's like, I picked up a signal from Alpha Centauri. I'm going to go, like, I, I want to learn more things. Like, it has no interest in humans, ultimately. Yeah. And her has a similar theme to it yeah. as well, not to get spoilery. Yeah, but yeah. exactly. I, I, I think that's probably our best hope, is that an AI that would be intelligent enough to outsmart us would be smart enough not to care too much about us. Yeah. <laughs> to realize that's how right. insignificant we are. Yeah. Yeah. On that hopeful note, <laughs> Ramez, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where can people keep up with all the new stuff you're working on and all of your amazing projects online? Uh, Rameznam.com, or they can follow me on Twitter at Ramez. Awesome. And if you guys want to follow us, we are at Sword and Laser uh, over on Twitter. Our show is currently entirely funded by our patrons. So thank you to all the folks who back our show and allow us to do amazing interviews like this one and all of our book club shows about that and more about that over at patreon.com slash sword and laser. And you can support the show by buying books through our links. Uh, as we mentioned, books in the show, we put links at swordandlaser.com slash picks. If you click on one of those uh, to buy it, it's a great way to find new stuff to read. We get a little cut of that too, swordandlaser.com slash picks. Get in touch with us at feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 415-7-SWORD-6. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 
the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.